Joshua, and I hopefully my slides work. Not all of them seem to have loaded, but that's all right. And I have my notes here. So, but um, before we even begin, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, again, we're so grateful, grateful for your hand upon us and the fact that today we can meet freely in this place and around the various locations that people may be watching this or listening to it. And I ask God that you would just be there in a very real sense with people and uh, Lord open our hearts even now to continue just to receive what you have for us thank you for the word of God and Lord for giving it to us in our language and we think of all those that have over the centuries sacrificed so many so much to um, to get that to us help it to just seat itself the Bible deep into our hearts we ask this all in Jesus name Amen. All right, we're in the book of Joshua, and we're coming down to Joshua chapter 23 and 24. Um, we may not get through this whole message this morning, and I, I was, uh, and that's one of the reasons I thought I better get up here, because otherwise uh, uh, I'm going to have a hard time getting through it in three sessions, probably. But um, looking at Joshua 23 and 24, they're the final concluding words of Joshua, uh, and the historical record that closes out the book of Joshua. Um, last time we met, we were looking at the cities of refuge, and we see it continued in the chapters from chapter 20 to here, uh, the dividing up of the land and the very specifics with that, and um, the various families in Israel. And we come to chapter 23, and we have Joshua giving this appeal. And we're going to read down through uh, verses 1 to 8 of Joshua 23, and then we'll go from there. It says this, Now it came to pass, a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua was old, advanced in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes and from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. And so you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. And lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the names of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to, done to this day. And um, we looked at this, and this we're going to go down through these two chapters and um, comment here as we go. But we have here the appeal of Joshua as he appeals to the people. And we know that, first of all, he comes to the nation and his final message and he has some concerns. And we're going to look at those concerns here in a moment. 
one concern would be a personal one. He's advanced in years. He's getting old. And we know that from verse 1 where it says, Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua was old, advanced in age. And we know from verse 14 (coughs) that he was ready to die. It says that, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. This is important because Joshua is recognizing that his time on this earth has come to pretty much a close. And he has, those years have ticked up on him. He's lived a good long life, a life of strength. And here he is. And these words that he has to, have, has to say here, I think, are even that much more prioritized or that much more important. Although we find that through Joshua, we read even when he was a younger man at age 40, he had very important words. And then later on, when he gets ready to lead the children into the land, the Lord gives him his word and he delivers it to the people. Those are important words. But I think how much more so if we knew today was our last day today and you had something to say to the person sitting next to you or a family member or friend or even your enemy, would you say just hey let's talk about the weather weather's important but you know it's not that important is it or would you talk about more serious things and obviously joshua talks about these serious things one of the things that we see here is that joshua had some concerns and his his concern number one was that that he feared complacency and i think that it's very possible in our christian life And I think more so as you age to become complacent. Um, Sometimes familiarity breeds what? Contempt, right? That's a a saying. saying. Is it possible being familiar with the things of God, we actually can turn those things sometimes into either complacency or even worse, contempt. And that happens. And I think we always need to be warned against complacency. In verse 6 here, he says, Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. And there's always that danger of losing balance, of going this way or going that way and getting off track. And I think we need to press, as the book of Hebrews says, toward the mark right toward christ looking onto jesus the author and finisher of our faith and he is the one that we we direct and if you are looking towards him you won't get off track if you start looking towards the rest of us well you'll get off track really quickly if you start looking at movements or men or or people or celebrities or heroes of this earth you'll be sadly disappointed but not in the Lord, you will find he is the way to follow. The fear um, of complacency, and Joshua had those fears, and I think that's well-founded because we know that that's always been part of the battle for people of faith. As we believe the Lord, and I sometimes think of the days when I stood uh, and, and had such strength and courage to, you know, talk to somebody or something like that and, you know, witness boldly. And then I find myself sometimes later on fearful to say the same words 
in even less dangerous circumstances. And I think, oh, I've become complacent. And sometimes we lose courage. And that's what Joshua says, therefore be very courageous. I do believe we need courageous Christians today. Courageous Christians, young Christians that are courageous. We need older Christians that are courageous. And that idea of courage is something that I think you can, you can wrap your mind around and be prepared for. Not to be scared at everything and every little thing. I mean, not talking about diff- just there are fears in this world and there's nothing wrong with being afraid. But having our fears drive us, that's that lack of courage. And we need to come to the Lord daily, say, God, give me courage today. That today I can serve you. This day. That's one of those verses we'll come to eventually in Joshua 24. <clears throat> Near the end of the Bible, you have in the book of Revelation, these messages to the churches. And there's one, the, really the last of the seven churches that are mentioned there in Revelation 2 and 3, is the church at Laodicea. And this is a church that didn't get it right. Because look what Jesus says to them. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Then he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Beautiful invitation to fellowship. But that fellowship does not come with uh, a lukewarm heart. That you are neither cold nor hot. The Laodicean church. Don't let that be this church. Don't let that be your heart. Because, see, churches are made up corporately of individuals with hearts, a drive, a passion, or a lack thereof. Have you become complacent? Joshua feared that complacency. And I'll tell you, we need to beware of that and be careful. In Joshua chapter 23, verse 7 He talks about another fear. He says, Unless you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them. He feared compromise. Not only complacency, but compromise. That's another one that is a battle all the time with us. It's easy to compromise. It's easy to bring something into your life that becomes idolatry. That's what happens when you take and you put other gods before the one true God. And it's very possible to do that. It's very easy to do that. And it's easy to compromise because everybody else is compromising. 
I think of how far we have gone in our society with things that once were determined as very wrong and sinful and evil and now people calling those same things good. And there's a long list of them. I won't go into those. But lots of things. God is still good. His word is still true. We need to stand on the word of God and be true to those things. And we shouldn't be bringing in other gods. Shouldn't bring in worldly philosophies that will bring us away from the scripture. All those things. And those are things you need to fight for. Because there are lots of things. In the New Testament, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church. He says, abstain from every form of evil. Every appearance of evil. We should not even be dabbling at all with some of those things that, we, that are evil. Stay right away from them. Abstain. They war against your soul. And you will lose. If you do not hold true to the word of God. And to the God of the word. 2 Corinthians 6.14 Paul says do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness. And what communion has light with darkness. And what accord has Christ with Belial? That's a false god. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. I love that. Paul reminds us that we're not a temple made of stone, right? And wood or whatever else. We ourselves are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, the Spirit of God has come to reside within you. Why would you bring something into that temple that would profane and pollute the Lord? Don't do that. He quotes from the Old Testament, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I love that. He's enough, is what it says. Somehow we think we need to have other stuff in our life that so often draws us from the Lord and pollutes our life. And he says, no, it's just the opposite. Come out from that and follow me and I will be a father to you. Oh, think of that. Oh, how we need that relationship. That's what he wants for us. Joshua feared compromise. He also feared this, a lack of commitment. He feared for their commitment. Verse 8 of Joshua 23, But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. Commitment. That's a big, a big word that is not, it's sort of almost gone out of fashion, hasn't it? How few people we see in society today that are truly committed, not only to each other, but committed to things. We are in the generation, and I'm not beating up on the younger generation. It's in the older generation, too, because I see it this way. I see, we, sometimes we say, boy, that younger generation, they're just not committed. And I look at the older generation, and, and I, I thankful, I'm thankful for the good examples in our generation here of older people. But I see a lot of older people not finishing well at all. 
I see people in their 50s and 60s and they're throwing their marriages away. And you think about that. I mean, I understand that can happen. And truly, sometimes it is one-sided. But how quickly people just, that's it. I give up. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to love somebody. Lack of commitment. You end up in situations like that. Make sure you're the one that's committed at least and you're not giving up. God is a God who wants us first and foremost committed to Him. How many throw away their relationship with Him for lesser things that are pleasurable for a moment maybe and leave us so empty and ruined? Think of that. Commitment. That's what Christ wants. You say, well, what kind of commitment? You know, most of us are committed to coming to church a couple times a week, maybe. Probably three is a little too much, right? No, no. Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I think as the chance to meet, you know, we ought to come together if you can. I think we ought to be committed to some very basic things. Committed first and foremost to the study of God's word. I think we do that around here. There's several places and times we have study of the word of God. And I can tell you this. If you're not committed to those times of study. You will lack. You will. Your, your nutritional soul. Or your soul of your nutri- or nutrition of your soul is lacking. Just like if you don't want to eat physical food. You will eventually starve to death. I, I think that's important. You want to know how maybe your life, you know, you want to know the will of God. You want to know uh, more about the Lord. Well, you'll never know those things without study of, study of God's word. Uh, secondly, prayer. Prayer is that aspect of communing with God. And that's not only individually, but I think corporately as we come together. And I do believe we, we have a nation that's adrift today and a world that is a, greatly adrift. And I hear... You know, people get on the, the talk shows and all of that and they say, we don't know what's wrong with our society. Why is it seemed like it's just coming undone? And I often think it's because we have devalued life. And where did that come from? It came from really a whole segment of things. But how we really ought to be praying and reading the word of God and giving it to others. As Al said earlier, we have a need of, of Sunday school teachers. And um, if you feel like you're gifted in teaching Sunday school and putting a lesson together, we have material, we do that. But what a, what a blessing to be able to pass that on to the next generation. It's really not the next. They're part of this generation. And they need to know the word of God. They need to have teachers that are praying teachers. They need to have a church behind them that is a praying church to know him. Jesus' commitment was pretty simple. This is his call to commitment for disciples. He says, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Wow. Cross. The cross. We celebrated communion this morning, the Lord's table, and we were reminded of the death and sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. The cross is truly an emblem of his suffering and death for sin. It's a place of death. Sometimes we make light of it when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And we think, well, it's the 
bad things that come in my life and the struggles and the trials and those things, that's my cross to bear. But in scripture, really, it goes far deeper than that. It is the fact that we confront the life that we have and we say we're not our own. We're bought with a price. The price was the death of our Savior. And oh, amen, he's not dead. He is risen and alive. But every drop that was spilled at Calvary, every, every ounce of pain that he felt, and every sin that was placed on him was done in, on my behalf, on your behalf. And if you're going to follow Jesus, it requires that you say, I am not going to live my life for myself. And I'm thankful. He doesn't call us to go and hang ourselves on a cross or be crucified. Although some Christians have been crucified after his crucifixion and were martyred. That happened. Several of the disciples went on as they were apostles later were killed in that fashion. But I will say this, he's told us, no, go live for me. And that's far more the responsibility is living for Jesus Christ. Joshua's challenge is next. He challenges them. He has their concerns and he was, he was fearful of that, uh, of, of various things. But he also gives them a positive and he challenges them to do things. The first one is he challenges them to consider... The judgment of God. And by the way, that is something we ought to be considering. In Joshua 23 verse 9, he says, For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. May I stop right there and speak to the United States of America. My country. Country that I at one time seriously was very much willing to go and give my life for if I had to. And I think I still would do that. But I look at where our country is today and how we are more wealthy than we've ever been as a nation. We have more access to health and health care than ever before. Even though I know maybe you aren't in that category. I don't know. We have uh, longer lives than, I wouldn't say ever before because we've dropped a little bit in the last couple of years. But we have so many comforts and so many things and so many. I mean, I got a car that tells me to stay in the lane. And if I don't, it puts me back in the lane. I could let go of the steering wheel and the thing will actually, if it sees the, what, the marks on the lanes, it'll keep me in the lane. Talk about lazy. Wow. I'm a good driver, it tells me. No, you know, it doesn't. So it tells me when you're a bad driver. That's what happens. But we have all these conveniences and technology and we have things now that, you know, talking about artificial intelligence that can write your college term paper for you. I don't know. I think I had to, all my teachers would have seen through that somehow. We've come to a world that we think we're so great. Greater nations than ours have been brought low by the judgment of God. And I am in fear for my nation because of the judgment of God and the people. Someday God will pour out his wrath upon the earth. The Bible talks about that. There will be a great time of tribulation as never that has been seen. And no nation will stand. 
No life would exist except he shortened the days of that. God today is being merciful and patient and long-suffering. That means he suffers along with us. I think of that because every single day in my world, there are people who have had evil things happen to them and some has involved the death of their loved ones and bad things happening and disease and all those things and there's hearts that are just broken this morning and God is long suffering with such people he suffers with us but his grace will not be extended in the sense forever to those who wait and do not accept it as a gift judgment is coming he goes on to say this but as for you no one has been able to stand against you to this day One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. Therefore take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go into them, and they to you, for no, for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. They were commanded to consider God's wrath. And again, it's possible to... To come to a place where we love the world more than the Lord. There's a danger in that for sure. He goes on to say this in verse 14. Behold this day I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls. That no one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you, all have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. This is an older man now, an old man. He's at the time of his death, getting ready. And he says, God has been faithful. I think that's the greatest message that older people can have to younger people. You old men that are here, and you older ladies, there's no old ladies here, just so you know, older ladies. You have such a ministry of opportunity to talk about the faithfulness of God to the next generation. And you might not think they're listening. Maybe you think, man, my grandkids don't listen to me about the faithfulness of God. Tell them anyways. Because someday they might, might be there and they're middle-aged or they're old themselves. And they remember back to that Pepe and that Meme, that Grampy, that Grammy who says, God's faithful. He's worth it. And they repent. And they follow. Or, or maybe they'll be like someone, many examples in scripture and many examples in this room, who will follow after the Lord throughout their youth and their adulthood. And I tell you, that's a great, a great thing. Do it. Do it. Tell them the good works of God. Therefore it shall come to pass that As all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the harmful things. 
until he has destroyed you from the good land which the Lord your God has given you. And he tells Israel very specifically, if you follow me, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you're going to be harmed. That's the message of sin, by the way, and repentance. If you follow the Lord, he'll bless your path. For the Christian, it may not be a a material blessing, but we are blessed in all spiritual blessings. And you can face a world where a thousand are calling for you to die, and yet you're victorious, even in death. Isn't that a wonderful truth? But if you choose not to follow him and disobey him, well, that's on you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. Wow. Wow. Verse 11, in the middle of that, where he says this, very simply, Therefore take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. If you remember anything out of that section we just read, In this verse, it all is summed up. Love the Lord. Because if you love Him, and your affections or desires are all set that direction, the other affections won't draw you like that. Love Him. Jesus said the same thing. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep His commandments. It's that simple. Do it. I won't turn to it, but... Another church in the book of Revelation is Ephesus and the Ephesian church. Dynamic, vibrant church. They were doing great things. They had right doctrine. They had right works. They had the right programs. They had the right pastor. Timothy was there. I mean, they had it all. Come to the end of that section of of about 40 years or so from the founding of the church at Ephesus. You come to the book of Revelation and in chapter 2, he, uh, Jesus writes there and, uh, or tells them, he says, Nevertheless, verse 4, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. It's possible to have all the right things in a church and look healthy on the outside, but Jesus looks on the inside. He says, I have one thing against you. You left your first love. His command, by the way, was repent and do the first works. John was talking about that this morning. Doing. There's an action that is required upon us to move and do and be. We're to do the first works. Then he says, consider God's will. In chapter 24, verse 1, and I'm going to read down through these. It says, then Joshua gathered all the tribes... Uh, I've got my slides changing on me here. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel. I'm going to read it right straight out of the print Bible here. <clears throat> to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir, and to possess. But Jacob... And his children went down to Egypt. 
Also I sent Moses and Aaron and plagued Egypt according to what I did among them after I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And so they cried out to the Lord and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, covered them and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt and then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. And I brought you to the land of the Amorites who dwell on the other side of the Jordan and they fought with you. And, but I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak the son of Zippor king of Moab arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam the son of Beor to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam therefore he continued to bless you so I delivered you out of his hand. And then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you also, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, but I delivered them into your hand. He says, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods of your fathers, that they fathers served on the other side of the river in the land of Egypt. Serve the Lord. And then verse 15, he says, And if it seems evil to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My friends, and I will pick up on that a little bit next time when we meet and talk about the covenant that Joshua makes with the Lord And he encourages that same covenant to be made with all the people of Israel and the Lord. But it's a covenant that requires a personal decision, an action. As Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was a determination to serve the Lord. Joshua was getting ready, by the way, to depart from this earth in the way of all people. He was going to die doesn't mean his service would stop it would just really only begin but i will say this that the household of faith that he stirred up and those of his generation that came behind him they were now bound also and committed to serving the lord and joshua finishes strong in that way i really think that we need to do that i think we need to choose to do right in a world where everything is so wrong And it's so easy to do wrong because everybody else is doing it too. And sometimes we make excuses like we say, well, I have no option. I'm in this, you know, I mean, they force us to do that. I think of a story that comes from uh, Elmer Bendenier's book, The Fall of the Fortresses. And it uh, is a historical account of uh, 
uh, missions of, of B-17s that flew during World War II. And on one occasion, there was a B-17 that um, was flying over the city, the German city of Kassel. And they began to receive, all the B-17s in formation began to receive heavy flak. And uh, they knew that the guns had been, these 20 millimeter guns had been ranged just perfectly because they realized that these flak shells that were exploding were right on the same altitude they were at. And by, in no time, they were going to get shot down. All of a sudden, metal started hitting the plane. There were holes that showed up, shells that just would go right through the plane. That B-17 continued to fly, flew back to its base, and landed to discover that the wings and the fuel tanks had been hit by flak shells, and the flak shells hadn't blown up. The next day, the pilot, a man named Bon Fox, was told that the ground crew, the ground chief, had a souvenir for him to go down there and pick it up, and he knew it was one of those 20 millimeter shells that probably had taken out of the fuel tank. And he went down there, and the chief hadn't have just one 20 millimeter shell. He had 11 of them that had been taken out of the fuel tanks on that B-17. None of them had exploded. Didn't know why. They were, they were basically supposed to detonate upon impact, and they, they didn't. So one of the mechanics began to take these things apart and discovered that all those shells were empty. Not a one of them had any powder in them at all, except one did have a note in it, just a little scribbled up note, and it was written in Czechoslovakian. If you know anything about World War II, the Nazis took over Czech, the Czech people and uh, enslaved most of them in like, places like ammunition factories, things like that. And it was very interesting. The note read this, translated from Czech, this is all we can do for you now. One person, maybe many, on an assembly line being forced to do something they didn't believe in. They said, we can make a difference. They want us to make shells. We'll just leave the powder out. Listen, you're in a world where you're being pressed into that mold every day. Make a difference. Stand. Take that stand. And it makes a difference. God, we are grateful for the word of God. And I pray even today, Lord, as we, well, as we think on these things, help us, Lord, to be committed. Oh, Lord, we need more Christians who are committed. Lord, I say that as a pastor of this church. Lord, help me in my commitment to you. Oh, God, give us courage. Courage in a world that is very scary if we just look at it. But Lord is nothing in comparison to you. So help us to be people of courage, people of the book, people that make a difference in this world. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.